The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. All right, let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your son again. Pray we'd never go grow old of thanking you for him and all that he's done. Thank you for sending the Spirit who is poured out on us, who lives inside of us to help us see and savor your Son. And Lord, that's what we're praying for this morning, that through your Word, by the power of the Spirit, you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and that we would leave here changed for our good and for your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are in week two of Advent 2020. Decided I'm not going to say 2020 anymore. I'm going to say 2020. Just it's good for my own soul to not hear that hashtag. A season I think we desperately need as a church. If we ever needed a season to fix our eyes on King Jesus, it is in 2020. So last week we saw, in week one of Advent, God's power and purposes at work to affirm Jesus as King through His life and death and resurrection. This week we'll see that Jesus is indeed the Lord of the universe and the preaching of repentance in His name. I was talking to our elder chairman, Kurt Elting Ballard, about this sermon and this text, and he said that he's always thought of Advent this way, the kingdom is near because the king is here. The kingdom is near because the king is here. And therefore, how do we respond when we see that the king is here and the kingdom is near? Well, there's only one way to respond. And that's in our text, and it's repentance. And here's why. Because Jesus being our king does not just mean that he defeats our enemies for us. It also means that he rules over us. Right? We, we have a hard time understanding what the, the authority and the lordship of a king would be like. We're not used to that kind of way of being governed, but sometimes we like to exult in his victories, but kind of dismiss his authority over us. In fact, we live in a world where authority is almost a, a swear word. It's most natural to question everything, especially when it comes to submitting to Jesus Christ. Like, who in 2020 is just lighting up your social media feeds with all the ways that they're trying to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's what we do. We, we question everything while also affirming strongly our own personal opinions about things. I've been reading through um, our, our End of the Word, and it struck me as I was reading through it, I think, a month or so ago in the book of Judges, that it was a word of judgment that the people did what was right in their own eyes. It's a word of judgment. They're, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're not submitting to the Lord of Lords. And today, that word of judgment is the most prized principle in our society. Do what is right in your own eyes. You do you. You seek happiness and comfort for yourself in the moment. We see this permeating society, and if we're honest, if I'm honest, 
I can see that permeating my own heart in different ways. I want to do me. I know what's right. I'm the expert. Be quiet. I'll do me. Right? Everyone is an expert and should live for their own little slice of heaven here on earth. Whatever their heaven looks like, that's what they should live for. And we call this freedom. I have my right to do what I want when I want it. Now, I'm not saying, let me be really clear, I'm not saying authority can't be abused. Authority can be abused. It can, and it has. And we need to have our eyes open for those things. What I'm saying is that today, before all of 2020, we were a a place, a people, allergic to any notion of authority, and we have more easy access than ever before to voice our dissent and our angst and our vitriol. Now I want to talk to the kids for a second. Kids, can you imagine a world where there were no rules, right? there were no bedtimes, ice cream and snacks were everywhere, Amen. and you didn't have to pick up after yourselves, and you could do whatever you wanted. That sounds good to kids. And it sounds good to adults, yes. <laughs> why? Like, why is that built into us? I don't have to teach my kids that. Like, parents, do you ever just hear your kids' questions and go like, what are they going to be like as adults? Like us. And be like us. Kids, I just want to tell you now, it would be a good thing for you, as fun as that sounds, is that God has put your parents in your life for a reason to help you live with wisdom. He's put your parents in your life for a reason to help you obey them, to learn to It's a good thing to obey authority. It's a good thing to obey those who are in your life for your good. Why do I bring this up? Why am I talking about all this? Get to the point right before I lose you because you're already getting a little mad at me. (laughs) I'm bringing this up because our text today is going to present a view of Jesus that demands our complete submission to Him. Not 99%, but our complete submission submission to him, and I'm not convinced we know how to do that anymore. It's going to present a view that runs so counter to our culture. Our culture offers freedom, says freedom is when we are ruled by our own desires. And yet the Bible says that freedom is when we are ruled by Christ's demands. Our desires are Christ's demands. And here's where I want to Remind us before we dive into this text what sin really is. Sin is rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what sin is. And there is no freedom for you in rebelling against the Lord of the universe. We see because of the way we view authority, because of the way we've distorted our own hearts, because of the way we've relativized everything, we see sin so minimally. We've even come up with new words to describe it. Like, we struggle with pornography instead of calling it sin against a holy God. Like, making up new words like that is not a little thing. Or we say we're we're frustrated as a way to give ourselves vent to our sinful anger and bitterness and need for control. 
or we use our pain, real pain, not dismissing the pain, real pain, to excuse our gossip about our brothers and sisters and cause more pain to others. Or we use our platforms and our influence to to mock and to speak with malice and rationalize because the world needs to know the truth. Do they really that way? From Christians? So what's happening as we do this? Now I'm not even going to get into why you're doing this more and more. Go watch The Social Dilemma. I watched it last night and I had to hold myself back from just going there for ten minutes. Here's what's happened. We've turned ourselves into our own judge and jury. Often, what does this look like? If you're the judge and jury, what does it look like? What are we seeing today? Right, we're very easygoing, eager to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt while simultaneously condemning and canceling others in the courtroom of our own opinions. And so this morning, what I'm eager for, for us to do, what I'm eager for this text to do, is to have it remove us from the throne and put Jesus back in his rightful place as Lord over all. That's what Peter was doing with this people. And this is good news of Advent fulfilled. This is good news. Our king has come, and he's alive to reign over us. That's the best news in the world. And where we have given into this false freedom, he simply tells us to turn and come under his perfect reign again. And that is good news. So let's dive in here. Point number one, the reign of Christ. Look at verses 33 to 35 with me first. It says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So last week we saw Peter stood up in this sermon and said that the power of God was at work to carry out the plans of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These things had been planned all along according to Scripture. That's the case that Peter is making. You're going to see him make throughout Acts. This is what Scripture has always said. This is not a surprise. This is what God has always planned. So had the pouring out of the Spirit. The pouring out of the Spirit was not a sign of drunken foolishness, but a sign of divine faithfulness. That's the point here. Jesus lived and did miracles according to God's plan. He died for sins according to God's plan. He was raised to conquer death according to God's plan. And the Spirit was poured out after his ascension according to God's plan. Jesus himself said this would happen in John 16, 7. He said, it's my, to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. Imagine that Jesus saying, it's better for you if I leave. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. What kind of power is coming in the Holy Spirit for the church of Christ? Here in these verses, Peter says that Jesus was ascended, seated as Lord of the universe at the right hand of God, according to God's plan. God has given Jesus the authority as the Lord of the church to pour out the power of the Holy Spirit on the church. 
In this text, what we're seeing is that God is giving Jesus the name that is above every name according to his plan. And with this name, he's giving the Son the authority to pour out the Spirit to continue to represent him among his people. Remember Acts 1.1. Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do and teach by the power of the Spirit through his blood-bought people. This book is going to be at every turn about the supremacy and sovereignty and supernatural saving work and conquering of the King of Kings. So what Peter does here is not surprising. He quotes Psalm 110. The Psalms are some of the favorite places of the Jewish people to go. They had many of them memorized. And so he quotes Psalm 110 to show these Jews that this was all according to God's plan. There, if you were to go to Psalm 110, David says that there is one who will ascend to the right hand of God to reign until all the enemies are finished. And Peter, like he did last week, said, well, clearly David didn't rise again. He still have his grave. He's still here among us. And now he's simply saying, well, clearly no one saw David ascend to the heavens. But there is one that did. And Peter says it's Jesus. Remember last week, verse 32, we're all witnesses of his resurrection. Therefore, this means that Psalm 110 is about Jesus, and he is the king given the authority that's in view in that psalm. He is the one that reigns supremely and will have final victory over his enemies. So here's the point of these few verses. The outpouring of the Spirit and the testimony of the Old Testament Scriptures testify clearly that Jesus is Lord of all more than that he is God. Now imagine hearing that sermon and being these Jewish people. Now here comes the punchline of the sermon. Here's what Peter says. I was, I was trying to put myself in the place of the Jews listening and could just imagine just the, the chills that would have run down my spine as Peter said these last words. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. <laughs> and we don't like sermons like that. I started pointing my finger at you and saying, you crucified him, your sin. We don't like sermons like that. Why, why did he do that? Because he loves them. Right now they can't hide. They're exposed. He's saying the scriptures confirmed it. You crucified the Savior and the Lord of the universe. You are directly opposing God right now. That's the point of this. I'm affirming Christ. You've rejected Christ. You killed Him. I raised Him up. You think that this is a sign of drunken foolishness. I'm saying it's a sign of divine faithfulness. You see His death as rejection. I'm saying His death was planned in the form of my acceptance and love for my Son. You crucified him. You're opposing God himself. We've all had these moments, at least I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you have it now, where you see your sin so clearly and you see the holiness of God so clearly. And you're undone. What, what can you do? Kids, it's like that moment where you were doing something you knew you shouldn't. And you come around the corner and mom or dad is there. What's that moment like? 
Right? And that's what these people felt like as they realized they were found out. They were opposing God, right? They got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And there was no turning back, nowhere to go. So how do they respond? Look at verse 37, first half of verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Notice there is an inner response that comes before this outer response. Now I think all this happens quickly. But this is how it always happens. There's this inner response before there's an outer response. It says they were pierced to their very soul. They were cut. They were wounded. There's no way to make this word sound more gentle than it is. They were pierced. Right? We see this in Hebrews 4. This is what the Word of God does when it's preached. The Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, had pierced through the bone and marrow of their hearts, and they were naked and exposed before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happened in this moment. And we can all attest that when this happens, this process hurts like crazy. There's a reason it's called a piercing. It, it undoes us. There's a reason it's called being naked and exposed in Hebrews 4. Here is the moment where the Lord Jesus, the King of kings, by the power of the Spirit, tears away all the pretense that we've worked so hard to put up in our lives. And don't get me wrong, you are working, I am working subconsciously all the time to knit together my fig leaves of pretense and cover myself. Here's the moment where the Lord comes calling to us in the garden and says, you sowed your own fig leaves and hid in the trees? Don't you know I created the world? Can't play hide and seek with me. This, this would not have been like a happy moment. Not yet. We'll get there in a few minutes. This is painful and unpleasant. But it's the beginning of a loving invitation to freedom. You see, this is how it's supposed to work. When we realize that we're objectively guilty before the Lord of the universe, shame kicks in. That's how guilt and shame are supposed to work. You're guilty, you feel shame. We realize we're naked and exposed. We realize that the ways we've tried to justify our sin and cover it up have been stripped away. We feel our own hypocrisy. Guilt and shame are not bad things. They're built into us to help bring us into alignment with reality, to remove the blinders we've placed on our own hearts and release us from the chains of our own self-protection. Now we're going to get with what you do with your shame and guilt in a minute. But sometimes they get a bad rap these days. They're built in to bring us into alignment with reality. And when this feeling comes, we should not push it away or avoid it because it feels painful. When we got the news uh, a year or so ago about our little man, uh, something's wrong with his heart, and they said, you're going to have to do open heart surgery. There's, there's no way around it. Like, the crazy thing about my mind is I started doing everything in my mind to get around it. Like I was going to do better than the doctors. I used to avoid it. Maybe I don't even have to tell Kelly about it, right? Like all these passing thoughts you have because you're just so afraid. It's so painful. You don't want to go there. You don't want that kind of piercing. You don't want that kind of ugliness. But it's only as we're cut open 
that painful but healing open heart surgery can come so that our hearts can beat and function and we can live lives as we were made to for the glory of God. So whatever's coming to your mind right now, the sin that's coming to your mind, don't run away from the feeling. Don't push it away. The other option is to ignore the feeling or to stuff the feeling or to numb the feeling with one more article or one more glance at social media or one more movie or to push away the feeling with further justification of why your sin is okay or you'll address it tomorrow or next week or to distract yourself from the feeling with religious activity. Like I, I, better, uh, I better go lead my small group. So self-family, this is the moment for us. Where have we made idols? I'm not just calling on you. I've had to do this all week. I have to live this text all week. Just let it pierce me. Where are the places in your heart that you're replacing Jesus as your sure hope and Lord? Where are your hidden, subtle sins that no one else knows about? Where are you so distracted with the desire for comfort and control that you're missing Jesus? Where is your attention fixed? Where is your fear? Where is your confusion? And then where is Jesus in all of that for you? The Jews that are being talked to right now miss Jesus because they wanted political control. They thought our morals and our way of life is best. They wanted their rights in society. They wanted to be respected and treated well by society. They wanted their place. They wanted a conquering king who would represent them and overthrow Rome that would oppress them rather than a crucified king who would defeat their sins. It's really easy to get distracted. Church, be careful where you place your hope and where you're distracted. And be aware that you're being discipled to be distracted and depressed and divided because it makes people a lot of good money. Be careful. Don't miss Jesus in this season. Jesus will not be a means to your end. He won't be. He's never okay with that. He's never okay being used in the narrative. He won't be a means to your end. And so I'm praying that whatever sins are coming to your mind right now, that you would let the Lordship of Jesus Christ carried out by the power of the Spirit have its full probing and piercing effect. And that's the inward response that we see of the crowd. And it leads to this outward response of what I think must have just been desperation. (laughs) This desperation. Here's what they say to Peter. Say, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? (laughs) That's the right question. We're at the mercy of the Lord. We've been distracted. We've missed Him. We've justified our sin. We've covered it up. Blood is on our hands. What do we do? Leads to point number three, repentance of the call. Let's read verses 38 to 40 together. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So what's the answer? What shall we do? How will the church be born and 3,000 souls be saved? And Peter's answer is, repent. And this word, at its core, simply means to turn. To, to turn away from sin 
and turn to Jesus, to turn away from false places of hope and satisfaction, to turn to Jesus as your hope and satisfaction, to say with your heart, I've sinned against the King of Kings. I'm guilty. I'm ashamed. It's true. And yet He lived a perfect life with miracles according to God's plan. He died for my sins according to God's plan. He rose again and ascended to power according to God's plan. I trust Him for my forgiveness and I bow to Him with my life. We're going to circle back around next week to baptism because we're good Baptists, so we should spend some time on that. So for today, what I want to do is just hang out in this idea of repentance a little bit more. I want us to feel just how striking and good and relieving the gospel is. How good this word repent is. What shall we do? Peter says, repent. In one sense, when you read that, you should almost go, that's it? Like, that's all? Should be like the best news in the world. I mean, what's the charge here on the table? All of you crucified the Lord of the universe. You crucified the King of Kings. You missed him because he didn't give you what you wanted. He's the King of Kings and you didn't bow to him. Instead, you wanted to make him bow to you. And then you killed him for it. Like, that is an indictment. And what does he say? He says, repent. I mean, you would think there'd be quite a long moral list to accomplish. Right here are the 18 things to get back on the winning team. Or you would think there'd be some kind of religious feats to prove or something. At least be able to memorize some chapters of the Bible and the Old Testament that show you get that he's the Messiah now, that you missed him the first time. Like some remedial work for you. Or maybe somehow you need to prove that you could do better next time or some way to work your way back into God's favor for killing Him. And some of you feel that way about your sin right now. You're trying to do all these things. Work your way back into God's favor. Do remedial work, right? You had a bad Monday to Wednesday, but man, Thursday to Saturday was good enough that you could sing this morning. But what does Peter say? He says, repent. Turn to Jesus. Jesus accomplished the moral list perfectly. Jesus lived the perfect life for you. Jesus died for your sins. So repent. Like, isn't the Christian life the most beautiful invitation ever? Just repent. Just confess your sin. Just call it what it is. No games. No bargaining. Just say, yes, you're right. I'm a sinner. You died for me. I need you. You're all. You're everything. I can't do anything without you. Your guilt and shame over sin is right. It's alerting you that you're walking out of step with reality that Jesus is the King of Kings, but what you do next with it is so important. Will you bury it? Will you ignore it? Will you justify it? Or some of you will be paralyzed by it. Instead of those options, what if you just confessed it? Like this morning, even just between you in the Lord. Confess it. Run to Jesus who has taken your guilt 
and covered your shame. The cross means that your sin is more serious than you've ever imagined and that His grace runs deeper than you can ever fathom. It means both those things. Your sin is more serious than you've ever imagined and His grace runs deeper than you could ever fathom. Notice two more things from this text with me. First, notice from verse 40, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how they work here. Notice what Peter exhorted them and preached to them. What did he say? Save yourself. Right? That does not sound Calvinist to me. (laughs) Save yourself. Right? It's a statement calling for a response. He's saying, come to Jesus. Turn from your sins. Stop your hiding. Stop yourself justifying. Save yourselves. But who is Peter hoping will respond to that preaching? Look at verse 40. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. That feels more Calvinist. So I have no problem right now saying to you, come to Jesus today. You come to Jesus. Respond. Come home. Come out of hiding. Come and find rest for your souls. Jesus talked that way. Right? Come. Find rest for your souls. And as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, Lord, call them. Convict them. Draw them. Bring them. I'm praying that the Lord Jesus would do His work by the power of His Spirit to bring about repentance right now. That's how they work together. One is foundational, but there's no problem asking for a human response because God's the one who's going to bring it one way or another. Second, notice this promise is for all who call on the name of the Lord. All who call on the name of the Lord. It says children and those who are far off. Because right now, some of you are thinking, I know you are. Pastor Dave, you don't know what I've done. I've been coming to this church for decades, and you don't know what I'm hiding. You don't know all it would mean if I took off all the fig leaves. You don't know my sin. I'm too far off. There's too much at stake if I stop playing games, if I stop deceiving, if I stop covering myself up. I hate it as much as you do, but it's necessary now for my existence to keep playing this game. And here's what I would say to you. Call upon the Lord. Repent. That's it. There might be all sorts of things that will have to change in your life, and there might be all sorts of messiness that will cost you dearly. It will not cost you as much as hiding your sin. We are willing at this place, at this church, to walk through all kinds of messiness with you. <laughs> we, are, we are eager to do that. We are eager to get down into the trenches and walk with you in the messiness of sin. How could we not? That's what Jesus did. Came to earth. That's what Advent is about. But I guarantee you it will cost you more to keep that secret than it will to keep the facade going. Jesus is Lord, and whatever the fallout might be, He can handle your mess. He can take care of you. The promise that He'll never leave you or forsake you is not only true when you're knocking it out of the park, it's true right now in the messiness of your hidden sin. Second, I want you to notice that here kids and children are mentioned right in this verse. So kids, I just want to talk to you for a minute 
I love that you're with us and one of the ways I can love you best and you can love me best is by telling you that you're sinners and that I'm a sinner and that you can't save yourselves. But if you will see that Jesus is King and that He died for your sins and He rose again, you children who are hearing my voice right now, you can call out to Him even today and He will save you fully, freely, and forever. So those who are far off and even for their children. In light of the Lordship of Jesus and in light of our sin, the call to repentance is really good news. In fact, it's our only hope. So as we move towards the application here, what I want to see is the true freedom that we have in repentance. So repentance sounds scary. Right? It's an invitation to freedom, though. That's what it is. It's an invitation to reality. It's an invitation to stop playing games, to stop putting up the facade. It's an invitation to step into the reality that this universe means we're sinners with no hope of our own, but we have a crucified, resurrected, reigning king who invites us today to turn from sin and turn to him. And that king, even though we crucified him, is eager to forgive us and then walk with us and lead us. I remember multiple times as a kid and a teenager when I just done something really, really foolish. There's hope for your foolish kids and teenagers' parents, and I'm not saying that lightly in a joking way. And there are several times I just was completely caught, just completely exposed. I knew I was wrong. I knew I defied my parents. I knew I had broken their hearts. It was painful. And then I remember every time this happened, and some of you probably have parents that have this kind of effect too, my parents would simply hug me and just let me cry in their arms. And that's what this moment of repentance is like. Like right now, if you have sin come into your mind to confess, like don't trick yourself into thinking it's some kind of moral merit you're going to earn to confess your sin like you thought of it on your own. The Spirit did that. He exposed you. Like I didn't try to get caught by my parents so I could have this really sweet memory to share someday. I got caught because I'm a fool. And I needed to get caught. And that's what this moment of repentance is like. And then my parents had to discipline me. That's what love is. And help me walk in further obedience because it was for my good. And guess what? They had to keep parenting me day after day. It's not just a sweet moment, just we hug and there's no fallout. Right? Repentance means I've got to turn. I've got to change. I need help. And that's what it's like to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. We repent. And we return to Him. He meets us with open arms and grace. And then He continues to help us submit every area of our lives to Him. Not to take away our freedom, but to help us walk in the true freedom of repentance. Until we repent, we are locked up in the prison of our own sin. We're completely stuck. We have no hope. We're walking out of step with reality, deceiving others and deceiving even ourselves. Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly. And that means transforming us to love what He loves and hate what He hates and walk closely with Him. This people in Acts were never the same. They were all in for Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus is eager to do this today. 
Whatever your sin is, Jesus is still teaching and still working among us today. Perhaps you've been distracted in putting your hope in political parties and systems instead of Jesus. Repent. Perhaps you've been guilty of harsh words and mocking. Repent. Perhaps you've been guilty of bitterness and gossip. Repent. Perhaps you've been guilty of sexual sin or other types of addiction. Repent. Perhaps you've been guilty of harsh anger. Repent. Perhaps you've been apathetic towards loving your neighbor. It's a command, so we should repent. Perhaps you've been filled with grumbling during this season. Repent. Perhaps you've been filled with selfishness. Everything is about you. Repent. Kids, perhaps you've been locked up with your parents a little bit too long now. And it's real easy to disobey them. Repent. I don't know your hearts, but Jesus does. There's nothing you're thinking about right now that He doesn't know more deeply and intimately than you do about yourself already. You can't hide. He sees your hearts. He sees it all. And the Christian life is about living a life of repentance. Day by day. I can't think of a day where I haven't had to wake up or go to sleep and say I'm sorry to someone or repent for something. I hope that encourages you and doesn't just make you think, man, our pastor is messed up. <laughs> and that's the Christian life, just a life of repentance. The closer we are with Jesus, the more we see our sin. The closer we are with Jesus, the more we see how we're not walking with Him. The closer we are with Jesus, the more we feel it when we take a step or two away. Maybe you're in this room right now and you've never actually trusted in Jesus. Like you're hearing all this and you're listening and you're realizing, I've never put my trust in Jesus Christ. You're watching and you realize that. I've never really wanted to follow Him with every area of my life. I've never really made Him King. I've never wanted to follow Him as Lord. Maybe you've been in church for 25 years. It's just been the thing to do and you've just been playing games and you realize, I've never repented like this. I've never submitted my life to Jesus like this. Repent. That's all you have to do is repent. What shall we do as we realize the kingdom is near and the king is here this Advent season? Repent. And then notice one last thing about the text with me. Notice that then Jesus gives us the promised gift of the Holy Spirit to continue to conform us to His image. What a good gift. I'm going to give you God Himself to live inside of you to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you live a life of repentance, always helping us confess our sin and submit every area of our life, public or private, to Jesus Christ. Let me read what this looks like and how this happens. Let me read to you what true freedom is. Listen to 2 Corinthians three, sixteen to 18 When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What is that freedom? We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This morning, would you repent and call it to Jesus?
He has paid for your guilt. He has covered your shame. He will grant us true freedom as he transforms us. You are not too far off. Come to him now. Repent. Turn from your sin. Come to Jesus. He is waiting with open arms right now. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.